Hey everyone, welcome to Hit The Apex Podcast, it's Jawad here with you as always, and yes, yes, I know, I know, it's been a while, and it's between race weekends as well, but hear me out, <laughs> um, actually went through with the move, so moved to the house, um, me and my partner, and it's just been really crazy, I thought, oh yeah, you know, it'll be easy doing this in the middle of a triple header of Grand Prix, but you know, turns out not so not so easy so I skipped over the um I skipped over the recording I was going to do between steering Grand Prix and the Austrian Grand Prix but I'm going to still talk about the steering Grand Prix in this one because we had three races in three weeks we had Max Verstappen absolutely dominate the triple header as well which you know when was the last time Mercedes didn't win you know um or Mercedes lost more than three consecutive races, I think, yeah, going back to 2013, so, <laughs> lots to talk about, of course, it's going to be, hopefully, a loaded, loaded podcast for you, a lot of news to go over and, and discuss, and, you know, share my thoughts on, um, and the thing is that, amongst all the moving, you know, it's, it's been very hard to just check the social media, or check, you know, on all the little details I like to keep abreast of and everything so you know it feels like a bit of an f1 detox in that time but i'm, I'm glad now i can use the the racing to get away from you know looking at all these boxes that i'm surrounded by that's the thing like I've, this is a temporary um workstation that i've got on in the dining room at the moment and then i've got what is this uh compost sitting in front of me <laughs> so good but i'm loving it we're, we're both loving it here so you know it's gonna f- it already feels like home, and we're going to keep working to make it feel like home even more. Anyway, I'm just rambling here, as I always do. Uh, yeah, so last time we spoke, obviously, it was post the French Grand Prix, was previewing the Austrian Grand Prix, had both races, sorry, not Austrian Grand Prix, Styrian Grand Prix, but had both races back-to-back in Austria, um, first doubleheader of the season, and I think we're going to have more based on some news I'll talk about a bit later, but looking at the, the Styrian Grand Prix, the Grosse Prix von Steiermark, um, Max had a dominant pole to flag victory in that one, um, and yeah, three pole positions in a row as well for him, uh, which has never happened before in his career, he's never taken a career hat-trick of wins either, winning only seven days after his French Grand Prix win, he got the points up to 18 over Lewis um, after that race, and then for for Red Bull as well, very handy 40-point lead in the Constructors' Championship. Mercedes, post-race, basically questioning um, the developments that Red Bull have been bringing. More so, Hamilton was, um, what do you call it, questioning the developments and the upgrades, saying that they've um, spent a bit more, perhaps, even though that's not possible, given that this year we're under the, the budget cap and everything, so... You really can't spend more than the other team, you know, that's that's pretty much illegal. But, you know, we know that, you know, Red Bull have benefited from the change in regulations with the, the flaws and the low-rate concept as well coming into this year uh, compared to last year. They've had upgrades um, from Honda, their power unit supplier as well, given the fact that it's their final year as an OEM in the sport as well. 
and they've been bringing little things to the track, I guess, every every race. And, you know, now that the the flexi wings as well have been completely outlawed or the FIA are a bit more stringent in their testing as well, Red Bull can't get away with that. So Mercedes really genuinely just left with um, scratching their heads saying, what can we do? You know, they're apparently going to bring some upgrades for Silverstone next week. But really, you know, in qualifying, they've been able to get close. But in, in both races we had in Austria, they just were nowhere near um, the standard of Red Bull. Valtteri Bottas, who, let's say, has done a bit better in the two Austrian races. He was on the front row for the Styrian Grand Prix, but it was hit with a three-place grid penalty for a spin that he had in the pit lane, bizarre, bizarrely, <laughs> bizarrely, I thought it was a word, bizarrely, um, during FP2. So he was trying to get out of the pit box in second gear, lost the, the rear end of the car and spun around into the McLaren pit box, very dangerous if you ask me I'm sure everyone agrees with that and you know he was given a penalty just for that so three places he was going to drop on the grid um, which moved everyone up so Mercedes sorry Hamilton moved up Lando as well Norris up there again he seems to love Austria does Lando and um, Sergio Perez as well up there too so there was contact on the first lap between Leclerc and Gasly um Leclerc kind of sending, going off at turn one, and as he rejoined rather dangerously, ended up tapping uh, Gasly not only once but twice, and then Gasly, who had a puncture, ends up hitting Nicholas Latifi and Antonio Giovinazzi before turn three, so all their races ruined, mind you, and then Leclerc ends up going to win driver of the day and has this sensational comeback from the rear of the grid um he ended up pitting for repairs got the hard tires on and then just ran long until he got into p7 behind his teammate carlos Sainz. and because of that he won driver of the day even though pierre gasly wouldn't have voted for him and certainly latifi and giovinazzi as well if they saw the footage would not have done that at all um behind them though perez or ahead of him i should say sergio perez ended up uh despite the bungled pit stop finishing ahead of Lando in P4. Bottas, as a result of Checo's bundle, bungled, nah, bundled, bungled, bungled pit stop, ended up uh, jumping up into third. So a good day for Bottas, despite that penalty. But would it have been if Checo didn't have that slow pit stop? Probably not, you could say, given how quick he's been in recent races with the Red Bull. And that's important to point out, the fact that, you know, uh, Perez has been contributing quite well as well behind Max to to get them that lead in the constructors championship and of course Perez having won a race this season whilst Bottas has not so that'll be something that Mercedes are scratching their heads over and of course a lot of people sharpening their pitchforks for the inevitable um, sacking of Valtteri Bottas which you know may or may not happen uh, for the British Grand Prix weekend um, a lot of people a lot of Brits especially hoping that um their saviour in George Russell will be announced um, to step into Mercedes next year. We got the announcement actually before the second round there in Austria that Lewis Hamilton has signed a two-year deal to stay with Mercedes. So, you know, all the people thinking that this could be his last year. Me, 
of course included because I had the thought for a little bit there saying, oh, you know, he only signed that one year deal. He's got plenty else he wants to do outside the sport. But then also he cited that and said, you know, there's still plenty he can do whilst driving as well to champion the causes he wants to. So Lewis hanging around for another two years. That's great. Um, Will they put you know, Russell in the car there for on a two-year deal or a one-year deal, we'll, we'll wait and see. But, you know, with Bottas, it's like, you know, he's not really done much to help his to help his case, really, when you look at the results this year. And, um, you know, for Russell going into that seat, you know, all the best to him if, if it is that case. Chances are it will be. Um, and we'll see. Like, it would be nice to see, you know just the, the the inner joker and everyone you know who likes chaos and all that wouldn't be nice to see but a internal chaos emerge at Mercedes also you know the the young charger going up against the seven-time world champion um, and also to see ultimately how Russell compares against someone like Hamilton as a teammate because you know he was all over Bottas last year when they raced there at Sakir um, and then disappointed obviously with the result there but um, you know against Hamilton what will be the comparison between those two so that'll be interesting to see and good on Russell anyway the last two races there in Austria did draw quite well Um, he qualified I think top or he was top 10 for the second one, but for the first race, he was in a pack of cars led by Fernando Alonso early on. Yuki Tsunoda was up there, the Aston Martins, um, and then suddenly you had problems, pneumatic pressure loss in the Williams, so Russell was just having to, you know, in the end he retired, but he was running really well with the likes of Alonso and Tsunoda and in that first race, but then that retirement obviously took him out of contention for points Daniel Ricciardo as well um having some poor qualifyings again in both races but then in the first race particular he was able to race his way up into the top 10 but had a loss of power and was dealing with that throughout the race so he was out Esteban Ocon as well and sad about Ocon is the fact that ever since he signed that multi-year deal to stay with Alpine he's had some shocking races so he finished 14th there in um the, at the Styrian Grand Prix and then I think he uh retired there in Austria I'll go over that shortly um Lance Stroll, Fernando Alonso, Sonoda they rounded out the points though um for that race Hedda Kimi Raikkonen who looked pretty good at the end there uh, on the hard tyres, he ended up scoring, um, not scoring points on this occasion, and then Sebastian Vettel as well outside the points. Um, the Haas cars getting a bit too close for comfort as well with Mick ahead. And quite funny, earlier in the weekend, you had Gunter Steiner, the comedian that he is presenting, um, Nikita Mazepin with a spinning top and nip- nicknaming it the Mazza Spin. So, you know, he said, can you spin this instead of our car, please? So that was quite a bit, that was quite funny. And whether Nikita took it with uh, the same level of sarcasm as uh, Gunter did, I don't know, it remains to be seen. But, you know, Gunter's still around. He hasn't been knocked off by the, the KGB just yet. So, yeah, he, he's fine. So that was the, the steering Grand Prix. Not really the most exciting race, you know. It didn't really um, bring it home for many people. So, you know, that's it was easy to just gloss over that and skip over that but it was the Austrian Grand Prix next time around that did 
have a bit of excitement to it. So, you know, the narrative as far as the lead and the pole position and the win um, is the same with Max completing his first hat-trick um, of wins. But then you had a lot of stuff going on behind. You had Lando Norris bagging his career-first front-row start quicker than the Mercedes guys as well, who qualified fourth and fifth in that race um, at the start. Again, Esteban Ocon getting into a bit of bad luck, qualifying so far behind and ending up ending up getting sandwiched between Mick Schumacher and Antonio Giovinazzi. The safety car came out um, for a couple of laps. Max ended up skipping away from the safety car. Lando ended up being penalised, and this is kind of the bone of contention with this race, is how many penalties were dished out. So Lando was penalised five seconds for putting Checo wide there at turn four. Um, Yeah, turn four it was. No contact at all, um, not that Lando moved, you know, sporadically or anything like that, he just was taking the normal line, Checo happened to be on the outside, um, which, you know, if you're trying to make a move, going around the outside of four is not recommended, because you're going to end up in the gravel, and that's exactly what happened there for, for Perez, but Lando was given a penalty, and not only that, he was given... Um, Two more points on his uh, super license too, which brings him dangerously close to a, a race ban. So he's up to 10 points now, for, and you can only get 12 before you get a, a ban. Um, and that's, you know, for, if it 12 across 12 months or whatever. So, you know, it resets though, like you'll get some points taken off hopefully in the near future. But yeah, Lando really, you know, caught the raw end of the stick there. Um, that basically allowed Mercedes to get back into the podium hunt. Uh, Valtteri pulled the uh, trigger on lap 31 as far as strategy was concerned, so they were racing on a step softer tyre this weekend. Uh, There was a thought that perhaps they might have to two-stop, which was not the case, Um, but some of the guys did anyway at the end, such as Max and Lewis, to get the fastest lap. Um, 31, you saw Valtteri in, and then Lewis and Max followed on subsequent laps. But unfortunately unfortunately for Hamilton... He had some aero damage, which saw him fall away in the second stint. I have no idea. I can't remember how that damage came about. Must have been some debris that he picked up or whatever. But um, he fell away in that second stint. Mercedes on lap 53 ended up actually inverting the positions. You know, not not not, not swapping. They referred to it as inverting on the on the team radio. So there you go. Um, I. I picked up that term and have run with it ever since, including in the um, the live blog, and I forgot who it was, I think it might have been Ferrari as well later on in the race that did the same thing, and I said the same thing on the, on the live blog, so yeah, would this put Valtteri up ahead, you know, it was basically to try and get the best result they could, um, and that meant that Hamilton was easy prey there for, for Lando, and then Lando trying to get ahead of Valtteri didn't happen, basically just ran out of tyres at the end of the race, so another podium there for Valtteri, P2, Lando, P3, and his fourth career podium, you know, in, in a year now, so, you know, basically a year ago this time, we saw Lando take his first podium, same venue, and he's just been one of the standouts of the season and it's just interesting seeing you know the fortunes of Ricardo of course you know the big the big name signing you know the race winner um coming to McLaren and you know hopefully going to take him to wins but it's been Lando who's been pulling the weight really and that's been great to see I mean I'm I'm a big Lando fan as you guys know um 
still weirds me out that you know these drivers are younger than me now, and I and I big fans of them. But anyway, that's that's what happens when you grow old. <laughs> um, and people will probably shudder. Or people who know me will probably shudder when they think that because they're like, "You're not that old. You're not that old." Well, you know, I'm closer to thirty than I was, um, you know, a few years ago when I started this caper. So there you go. Anyway, so Lando's just been impressive, sitting, what, fourth in the championship now and just really getting those points for McLaren because, you know, Ferrari have been quite consistent with both their drivers and it's good to see for them, seriously, uh, compared to last year where Seb just in all sorts of trouble and then Leclerc driving the pants of the car, but, you know, signs has been so good this year and for him to actually have taken the one and only podium that they've had so far this season has been quite good too so but anyway going back to the rest of the race you had um lewis take the additional pit stop of course at the end to go for the fastest lap but given that his car was not really 100 percent max did the same with the lead that he had and denied him that point and then to the more to more penalties, and it was Checo who, you know, he might have been laughing at Lando for getting that five seconds, but Checo wouldn't have been laughing at the end of this one because even though it was his 200th Grand Prix and would have wanted to celebrate, um, he was not really in a mood to celebrate afterwards because he got not only one five-second penalty, but, but two <laughs> and for for taking Charles Leclerc, you know, the same driver off the track twice, you know, so, and to make it even more infuriating, and this is not where, you know, I, I had the gripe, the gripe was with, uh, you know, the Lando penalty, but in trying to stay consistent with it, my gripe was more so with the fact that the commentators were so, and, and Crofty in particular, was so bent hell-bent on saying oh it was just the one five second penalty he had it's like no you doofus we heard two separate five second penalties um but he kept saying it was it was just the one so and the amount of times he said it confused me to the point where i had to go back through the live timing um commentary and you know to see where it had indicated that, and it wasn't only him, but like you know, Sonoda got a penalty for something, and for the or did he get a penalty twice? I think for the same thing as well, which was crossing the pit entry white line. You know, when you come out of the final or the penultimate corner, sorry, um, like yeah, you know. So it was just the delivery of it. I think that was really infuriating. But you know, the the Checo penalties I can understand because. He actually did make contact with Leclerc and put him off into the gravel. But, you know, the Lando one was a bit in, bit infuriating. And then how Checo didn't get any points on his license either. Um, or maybe he did and I'm, we, we didn't really get alerted to it because Lando's the one so close to his uh, ban. But, um, yeah, you know, it was, it was not the greatest race for Checo. Leclerc ended up um, sixth or whatever, so behind Sainz in the end, uh, he came home to finish fifth. Ricardo seventh, Leclerc eighth, or sorry, Checo finished sixth. <laughs> I can't even, this is what happens, I wrote my notes, I wrote my notes ages ago and um, completely forgot what I'm talking about. Yeah, so it was... Checo that finished six, I should say. See, now I'm sounding like Crofty. The the, the Crofty effect has um, gotten a hold of me, and now I don't know what I'm talking about. 
um, yeah, so Checo finished sixth, Leclerc down in ninth, Gasly, Leclerc down in eighth, sorry, Gasly ninth. Um, and it was just an entertaining battle in the midfield as well with those guys. So, you know, always look to the midfield for a good fight. And beating Russell to 10th as well, and Russell, he qualified in the top 10, you know, first ever Q3 for him as a Williams driver. Beating Russell to 10th again was Alonso, and Alonso after the race was like, I was checking my mirrors to, or I was checking to see who it was that was intent that I'm about to overtake and I was praying that it wasn't Russell. So, you know, even Alonso feels feels for George and wants him to score that point, but not enough to the point where he was going to let him let him stay intent and take that point because Alonso is pretty ruthless and he wants all the points he can get. So <laughs> George misses out again, unfortunately, but, um, you know, it's not going to be the case in the future for him. So at the end of the day, 32 points uh, for Max in the championship now over Lewis. Red Bull, are they being slowed down with all these things coming in? You know, the technical directive about the flexi wing. There's the... Thing about you know slowing down pit stops too on safety grounds given that Red Bull you know quite conveniently have some of the fastest pit stops of the season um, there's a new technical directive due to come in by the time of the Hungarian Grand Prix that you know is going to see um, pit stops slowed down to a particular time so I don't understand that you know very rarely do we see injuries um, in the pit lane or like unsafe releases and everything it's probably one in every you know five races or not even one in every 10 races we see something happen but it's not like you know we see someone getting run over by a car or the the lollipop man which doesn't exist anymore either so they're quite safe it's just one of those things where you know it's it's part of the show people enjoy it why bother changing it anyway we'll see what what impact it has and we'll uh, look forward to the next race in Silverstone. I promise that um, I will be back on back on cue with that. So, you know, for next week's podcast, we will record on time and get everything done properly. Um, big bit of news, though, uh, this week in regards to the Australian Grand Prix and the inevitable has happened and it has been cancelled. Not just F1, but the MotoGP race as well. So, you know... Basically, yeah, the quarantine requirements here in Australia don't suit those that of the um, travelling parties. And, you know, the state government in their uh, press release and um, media that they did cited that the slow vaccine rollout as well in, in Victoria in particular, but, you know, you can count the rest of the country in for that, uh, is to blame as well. And, you know, that's a federal government problem. Um, ultimately... The state government cannot risk a leak um, from the bubble if they, you know, that that was the proposed idea is to bring F1 in or in a bubble, um, you know, but, you know, whether the virus ends up coming from overseas and, you know, transmitted um, through someone in the bubble who gets out into the community, you know, that is basically something that the government cannot deal with or, you know, they will be crucified for that if that ever happens. So to let a major event happen and, you know, the public or very little of the public is currently vaccinated, those unvaccinated will be at risk. So, yeah, they don't want to risk that. 
ultimately, it's an ine- it was an inevitable decision. I've been talking about it for months now, given how things have been going here. It's disappointing, though. I still feel disappointed by it. You know, it's a big loss for the economy, which, you know, has suffered quite a bit uh, locally, and I can account for that with what I've seen and businesses closing down and whatnot and people losing their jobs as well. It's it's very real. But in the world of these big organisations such as F1 and MotoGP and their massive commercial rights deals and everything, their commitment that they have on a global stage, the show must go on and they can't stop because one country can't play ball in terms of this. So as much as, you know, I'm mad with you know, the, the government here, uh, the federal government in this instance, the state government tried what they could, you know, I don't feel that same um, level of resentment that I do for them that I do for, or well, I don't feel resentment towards F1 and MotoGP because they're trying to protect their business. Um, they've got to find alternative races. And as far as MotoGP is concerned, that they've already locked in another race at Portimao, even though we've already raced there this season, they're going to go back to Portimao at the bottom end of the season. For F1, they're trying to source an alternative now, and it does seem likely they'll do like a double header there at the Circuit of the Americas. Um, how much longer before Brazil drops off the calendar too, you don't know. Um, but in terms of here, Melbourne, Australia and all that, you know, I really hope that in time for 2022, and now they're talking about that it's an Australian Grand Prix for F1 is not going to be the opening race of the 2022 season either. They're targeting potentially a date in April. Hopefully in April by then, A, you know, you can, there's a greater number of the population vaccinated, but also B, the federal government decide to, you know, do something better with its um, international travel restrictions and whatnot, you know, especially for major events like this. But even that will cause controversy because it's like, well, why can't our citizens come home and all that sort of thing? So, you know, it's a it's a fine line. And, you know, as much as I want to see F1 happen here and MotoGP happen here as well, like I'm gutted, especially for MotoGP, if this ends up being Valentino Rossi's last year, is that I would have not been able to see him in his final season there at Phillip Island. You know, I've been talking about that with a mate for ages. I'm like, if this is his final year, I want to be at Phillip Island. I want to see that 46 one last time. Um, but it's not going to happen. So that's that's really uh disappointing unless Valentino decides to go around one last time yeah that's basically all I can say about that really um but you know hopefully we're we're back for next year at the Australian Grand Prix miss it (laughs) been past Albert Park quite a lot lately you know especially moving you know from one side of town to another um driving through the city and all that and you know seeing Albert Park just uh makes me think you know when's the next time we get to see some cars race around there or whatever you know because even though I was there last year for the ill-fated race that got cancelled you know I didn't really actually see any cars go around track so it'll be what two years three years since so yeah that's that's pretty much it so you know all we can do is hope that the situation's a lot better come 2022 I had this whole thing as well, um, and I'm still going to do it, a whole thing about MotoGP, looking back at the first half of the season, given that they're on mid-season break already, it's been quite hectic, the the opening part of the season, and because I don't really give a lot of air to, I don't really go in depth with MotoGP as much anymore on the podcast, it's nice to just 
have a moment to talk about it as well. Um, I'm looking forward to Supercars too this weekend. By the way, they're in Townsville and they've got a double header there because um, they've had to postpone Winton again uh, due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic all over Australia. It looks like even though Victoria spent the majority of last year in lockdown, it's uh, other states and territories at the moment who are feeling it, New South Wales in particular, which is um, really tough. I understand how you guys feel up there in New South Wales because we lived it last year. And we've been in lockdown, what, you know, if you combine the weeks that we've spent in lockdown in 2021, it's been four weeks, five weeks, I think. So, yeah, not anymore at the moment, but we're still cautiously easing restrictions and what have you. So gutted that um, uh, the gig that I was looking forward to going to, Polaris, they've uh, had to postpone again till September. So still haven't been to a gig post-COVID or, you know, since since the pandemic first started. So I really look forward to getting into the mosh pit and screaming my lungs out. Anyway, MotoGP it is. <laughs> um, Fabio Quattararo, he won the most recent race there at the Assen TT. Four wins so far for him this season, and he's got a pretty handy lead in the championship. 34 points over his countryman, Johan Zarco. Um, and it's been an, quite an up-and-down season, but not as inconsistent as last year, i got to say. Last year, it was like, you know, Mark Marquez went down, he was out for the count for the season, and nobody knew what to do. It was like, ooh, who's going to be the new leader? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And the guys you expected to step up and be the championship uh, protagonist basically fell over, which was, you know, the Ducatis there with Dibizioso and Yamaha as well, with Vinales, you know, and not that he's doing that great this year either. Um, but, you know, it's it's it was one of those years where I just had no idea who was going to do it. And then Juan Mir came out and Suzuki came out and um, took the year. So that was great. Um, but Mark has returned this year, which I think was probably the biggest highlight for a lot of people. Um, he returned from the Portuguese Grand Prix, had three DNFs, but that win that he had at the Saxon ring there just before the mid-season break was probably, you know, the, the vindication and the culmination of this ultimate comeback story. You know, you don't see athletes, you know, recover from whatever injury he had. Um, a humerus bone, I think, yeah, that was broken or fractured or whatever and the re- rehabilitation he's gone through. And even though people might say, critics might say, oh, Saxon Ring, it was an easy circuit for him because you basically go on left and, you know, his his pressure and stress is on the right-hand side. You, to, to sustain that over a Grand Prix distance when he's not 100% fit is just out of this world and I talk about you know MotoGP guys like they're aliens you know they're out of this world or whatever or motorcycle riders in particular because they are you know and I did a story actually and I've talked about it on the podcast before um 2015 Isle of Man TT Ian Hutchinson you know Hutchie his comeback you know he his leg pretty much got ran over by another bike and, you know, basically reconstructed, you know, um, from nothing. And he came back that year in 2015 after, like, I think two years off or something or three years off. He came back in 2015 and ended up dominating, or 2016, I think it was, I'm not sure now. Came back, dominated the week, you know, won, like, all the races there. And, you know, it's one of those stories that doesn't get talked about because um, it's not really in the mainstream, but Mark has, you know, a little bit more in the mainstream, but, you know, it should be up there, you know, if we, we 
could talk about ultimate comeback stories and everything. It was it was incredible, and I think we need to show that appreciation because whether you like Marquez or not, he is one of the greats of the sport in the short time he has been in the Premier class. You know, six uh, championships, getting so perilously close to to Valentino, and I think Valentino was probably like, thank goodness, you know, we, we something stopped him. But at the same time, I think you know, Marquez is one of those guys, and the championship. It wasn't lesser without him, but I think it missed him, you know. It missed the pressure that he was able to put on other guys, you know. And whilst he's not 100% at the moment, I think, you know, slowly he'll get back there. But if not, you know, it's it's still good to have him. Anyway, back to talking about this year's championship, though. Ducati is, again, they're in the hunt, but they just lack that consistency. You know, Peko Bagnaia has been fast. Um, he's just yet to win a Grand Prix. Um, he had the DNF there at the Italian Grand Prix. Jack Miller as well, as much as I want to see him do really well, fly the flag for Australia, Viva Miller, all that sort of stuff. Um he had back-to-back wins there at Jerez and Le Mans as well. And Le Mans, that old, that really good victory after, like, you know, two drive-through penalties or whatever that he had, um, the the long lap penalties or whatever. And he had a DNF in Portugal and another crash there at Assen that's kind of put him back in the points. And I'm like, okay, Miller, you keep talking about this is going to be a year and everything and you're a lot more focused than normal, but come on, you know, we can't crash as much, and, you know, it's, um, I sound I'm, but like I'm being an unreasonable parent or whatever, it's like putting all that pressure on, but, you know, that's the thing, you know, that, you know, the previous guys there, Ducati, there, um, Petrucci and Davizioso, they just couldn't take it that next step, and Davizioso in particular, who came so close to winning it back in 2018 or whatever with, with Marquez, and then they ended up beating it in the final race, you know, so what's it going to take for Ducati to win a championship? You know, both these guys have been signed on to next year as well. Um, but they've got the bike, you know. They have just need to be more consistent, you know. And if anything, you know, it's the satellite team there, um, Pramac Ducati, with Johan Zarco, who's yet to win in the Premier Class, has been the sleeper, like Mir was last year. You know, he's been just super consistent. He's up there. He's second. He, he might be, what, 34 points behind uh, Quattararo at the moment. But if, you know, Quattararo has a couple of bad races, which we've seen in the past as well, that he might look so dominant in the first half of the season, but then suddenly um, goes to sleep in the next part, then, you know, that's where someone like Zarco in the position that he's in. And he's been super consistent all year with the podiums and qualifying speed and everything. That's where someone like him would benefit. So how would that look on the... <laughs> on the factory Ducati guys, if, you know, Zarco on the, the satellite Ducati ends up going to win the championship, it would, it wouldn't look very good, so, you know, this is where, you know, Zarco, it's, it's great to see him kind of turn his MotoGP career around, because obviously, he was great, um, when he first came into the Premier class, after winning back-to-back, uh, titles in Moto2, racing for Tech 3 Yamaha, he was, he was getting those pole positions, he was, um, getting those podiums, then he made the decision to go over to the factory KTM team, which ended up being a disaster, and he didn't even see out the season with him, he was, at one point, he was on his knees, crying, begging KTM to let him go, or whatever, so, he ended up doing that, you know, and then ended up coming back with Ducati, um, and has kind of resurrected his career, and now, 
um, in his second season on a Ducati. Um, he was with the Vintage team last year and then this year with Pramac. He's been excellent, riding the same bike as, as Bagnaya and Miller. So what does that say then about those guys in comparison to Zarco? Of course, Zarco's got more experience, you know, having won those two Moto2 titles. But, you know, for someone like Miller who... Someone like Miller, sorry, who has been, you know, in the premier class for a long time now. He's had a lot of time to learn from being, you know, the the jackass or the the guy who crashes all the time to, you know, being a consistent force. You know, we we haven't seen that. You know, I mean, it was great Hereth and Lamont. You know, him winning back to back, and we're like, all right, this is it. This is where we get to see the best of Miller. But again, you know, it just hasn't come that way. But I've got my fingers crossed. I've got my fingers crossed. I've got my Jack Miller Ducati cap on or, you know, in hypothetical or whatever you want to call make-believe Miller Ducati cap on um, that he can pull through either this year or next year because, you know, Ducati probably don't want to wait around or they probably don't want to wait on these guys. They've got such a pool of talent coming in. You know, now they're going to have the VR46 team become their official team from next year, as well as a customer team. So, you know, if someone like a Luca Marini ends up um, impressing or whoever else is in the Ducati pool, then, you know, those guys will be put aside and, you know, someone else will come forward. So, you know, yeah, you know, it's, it's all on them to basically they've, they've got to win the title or bust is is what i could say um suzuki as well not really impressing like they did last year uh mir at least is um still in the hunt you could say he's like ahead of miller on points he's 55 points off uh quattararo but you know he's ahead in the standings of miller um rins alex rins down in 14th in the standings he's had four non-finishing results including the um the catalan grand prix which he actually missed due to injury and you know if i was suzuki as much as i like alex rins and i think he's a character and everything if i was suzuki i'd be i'd be thinking about you know my options for 2022 because rins even last year when when mir won and you know you thought that rins was the leader at suzuki um you'd have thought that he would have put up he would have been a bit better, you know, and we, we, Rins is a race winner, he won in Kota a couple of years ago, but he just hasn't done anything this year that, um, would really excite you, you know, to, to worthy him being a factory rider for the next year, and it's the same story there down at Aprilia, and I'll talk a bit more about Aprilia in a second, um, and it's the same story with Alicia Sparga, I've got to say, like, you know, you've got, Yamaha, <laughs> Yamaha's just a, always a cluster bomb or whatever, I can't use the other word that I'm thinking about, but you've got Quattararo leading the championship, you know, that's great, he's been great for Yamaha, but elsewhere, you know, the other three riders have just been struggling, Vinales, he's already announced that he's, he's split with Vin, uh, Yamaha for 2022, and it's kind of like, you know, disappointing, because I thought when Lorenzo left, um, at the end of 2016, that Vinales would be the guy to be Yamaha's future. You know, he started off his Yamaha career really well. He had those wins. He was leading the championship, and then it all went south. And then this year as well, same story. He started 
off with the win there at Qatar. Then, you know, Yamaha were not happy with the results that he was producing and ended up changing his his crew chief only a couple of races ago. So his long-time confidant and friend Esteban Garcia was put aside and they brought in Silvano Galbacera, who was Rossi's old crew chief. And Vinales did not like that one bit. And, yep, after the rumours came around that, you know, Vinales is uh, looking for a new home, it could be Aprilia for 2022. And um, soon after the Aston TT... There it is. There was a press release. Vinales and Yamaha have decided to part ways for 2022. Very sad, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like even though the bike has had its problems as well, how is Fabio doing so well, you know? And and Morbidelli last year too was, was, you know, he was the best Yamaha rider at the end of the season with his results, and he was on the satellite bike. This year, Morbidelli's doing much worse because he's on a year-old bike. You know, if you put him on the same bike as Quattararo, which hopefully he'll be able to step up uh, next year, I think he'll be the man to go to uh, to reunite that team of the Sepang Racing team from last year. You know, Morbidelli did so much better than than Mignales last year, and it's just uh, so frustrating that you know you you put your eggs into one basket and they and they kind of let you down. And then you've got the case of Valentino Rossi, and this absolutely pains me to talk about and even to be asking the question that, you know, should he just call time now? Because he's sitting down in 19th in the championship. Um, His best result this year was 10th. 10th was Valentino Rossi's best result, and that was at his home Grand Prix in Mugello. We know now next year that the VR46 team will be on the grid as a proper team, you know, with both bikes, with the livery, they'll be racing um, under Ducati, The because um, they've got Aramco as the as the title sponsor, the um, the Saudi prince who, who funds Aramco or whatever and is funding the team, wants Rossi to ride next year, but whether that'll happen, it's up to Valentino himself. I know, you know, if a, a Saudi prince, you know, as rich as they are, uh, tells you that you've got to be on the team or asks you, you know, you, you seriously consider it, but Rossi, for his own reputation and, and all that, has got to consider whether it's the right thing to do for next year, and as much as, you know, all the romantics would love it, you know, Rossi and Marini, the two brothers racing together in the same team with Valentino's name on it, there's a point where you just got to call time and say, look, you know, this is it, you know, how much further embarrassment do we want to get out of this great career, the seven-time Premier Class World Champion, the nine-time champion in Grand Prix motorcycle racing, you know, he's won over a hundred races, how far do you go, you know, and as a loyal Rossi fan, you know, my heart is just aching seeing him where he is at the moment. It's also quite interesting that, um, even though Rossi's career for Ducati didn't go so well, is he's deciding to team up with them for his team. But, you know, Ducati have a great bike now compared to when Rossi was there, so I think it's a um, a great fit. So, 
as we're talking about silly season and, and MotoGP, um, important things to point out as well. So, you know, people talking about Maverick going over there to Aprilia. Aprilia next year will be its own team, so they will become their own factory team. Grassini, who currently run the Aprilia entries, they'll become a Ducati satellite team. They're going to have... Um, Anaya Bastianini, who's currently at the Avintia team, and uh, Fabio Di Gian, Fabio Di Giantonio will step up from Moto2. Um, but who's going to be on the factory Aprilia bikes? You've got Davizioso currently testing for Aprilia. I would love to see Davizioso return full-time there with Aprilia and have Vinales there together. Going back to what I was talking about with um, Alicia Spargaro, he's been around a long time, has Alicia Spargaro. I think he's had one podium in, in his MotoGP career. You look at all the other new manufacturers that have come into MotoGP in the last decade, Suzuki, KTM, Aprilia, they've all won races except for Aprilia. And that's not to say that Aprilia have had their own problems and whatnot, but... If they really want to seriously be a force in, in MotoGP, then, you know, maybe it's time for a Spargo to consider other options. Maybe step aside and become a test rider instead, because you've got someone of Davizioso's caliber waiting in the wings or just sitting on the sidelines, you know. And I know he wanted to take the year off because he couldn't find any other options after he left Ducati uh, at the end of last year. You got Vinales out there, who who's probably got a point to prove now as well. I'd probably have Aspargaro on my test test rider lineup, you know, and and get Davizioso and Vinales on the factory bikes and hope that they can, you know, get up there like KTM did, you know, in the last couple of years. You know, Brad Binder and uh, Miguel Oliveira have been great. You know, Oliveira's won a race this season already as a factory KTM rider. It's the same thing, you know, with Paul Spargo on the KTM, you know, he just, he couldn't take that next step, and then Brad Binder was the first one who ended up winning winning a race for KTM, so there you go. Um, as I said already, Franco Morbidelli should step up to the factory Yamaha seat, which would free up that extra seat there at Petronas Yamaha, so potentially two seats available for next year if Rossi ends up stepping aside. Um, we already know that Remy Gardner, who's leading the championship there in Moto2, is stepping up to Tech 3, KTM, and possibly with Raul Fernandez as well. And and real good to see Remy doing so well at the moment. You know, he for just ended up having this really rotten reputation as being inconsistent, not being able to stay on the bike. It's really hard, you know. I can imagine it'd be really tough, you know, with that surname as well, the son of the great Wayne Gardner, to to not be able to um, compete or not to be able to live up to it. But, you know, he's he's a changed rider this year and he's doing really well and I can't wait to see him graduate into MotoGP and, you know, win that Moto2 championship as well because then that's something that no one can take away from him. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's, yeah... That's the Smoto GP this year. It's um I really hope that, you know, for the championship I wouldn't I'd be happy if Quadraro won because, you know, a it's a Yamaha victory, is great. Um Ducati wise, you really want Jack Miller to do it, you know, because he is the Aussie, he's you know, he made the decision to, to go from Moto three up to Moto GP straight away, didn't bother staying in Moto two. Um but yeah, it's it's again, you know, one of those seasons that's just been really up and down. 
other than that, um, not much more to say. Hope um, I got, you know, I certainly got off, got everything off my chest that I needed to for this one. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you engage if you can or if you want on Twitter at Hit the Apex Media. Otherwise, yeah, take it easy. Take care. We'll talk again next week. Um, previewing the British Grand Prix and uh, I'm going to go rest. Not going to unpack any boxes, but uh, might go chill. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Enjoy and um, we'll see you next time.